Welcome to the Open Door Real Estate Podcast, where we will be opening the doors to the minds of those who own, you got it, multiple doors, and all professionals in relation. Today's podcast is brought to you by Barnett Capital, working with equity partners to create wealth through multifamily real estate. Let us do the work while you enjoy the returns. Today's host is the one and only Matt Barnett. Get ready to open your mind because we are about to do so to those who own multiple doors. All right, welcome to another episode of the Open Door Real Estate Podcast. Today we have an amazing guest, Mr. Jeff Hulse. Jeff, thank you for being on here. How's the quarantine life treating you? Well, you know, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I don't like not getting out. I'm very social. Most of what I do these days is just like, you know, networking and meeting with people. So it's a little bit hard to do that. Uh, but, you know, we've been keeping busy, so it's all right. That's, that's perfect. And I mean, that's a good thing. So for those who are listening or watching that may not have had the pleasure to meet Jeff yet, Jeff is a recovering attorney who spends his time as a, I want to say, full-time real estate investor. His story of overcoming adversity and prospering in the face of uncertainty makes him the perfect speaker for us today, which we're also going to jump into your amazing speech at Jamie's Meetup as well. Um, Jeff has gone from riches to rags and back. He currently owns over 240 residential units and multiple commercial properties. He is married and travels extensively. And I'm going to add in there a professional old-fashioned maker. Well, I don't know if I'd go quite that far, but I have <laughs> made myself quite a few bourbon old-fashioned. So, Let me throw this at you before we jump into real estate. If old-fashioned didn't exist, what would you drink? Probably just straight bourbon. Easy enough. Easy enough. So um, let's go all the way back to the beginning here. Tell us your, you have an amazing story, first of all. So tell us that story and then how it led into how you got into real estate. Uh, sure. So, you know, I, you know, started out um, uh, practicing law. So I went to law school back in uh, the late, uh, well, really the early 2000s, 2005, 2006. Um, and, uh, and I started out doing bankruptcy work and, and it turns out that like, that was super lucrative in 2008, nine, right. You know, in that range. So, so, I mean, it worked out pretty well. In fact, 2008 was a really great year for us financially. We're doing pretty awesome. Um, we were doing some traveling. Uh, I actually even ran for office. I didn't win, although, um, it was mostly because I was super lazy and didn't do my door to door. You know, I spent oh, the yeah. money, uh, bought, you know, paid for the mailing, stuff like that, but I just didn't get out and do enough door to door. And I, I came in, uh, just a couple hundred votes short. Um, that was for like a little township, uh, office kind of thing. Went down to Machu Picchu. Uh, and, and, you know, right there, it was kind of like, everything's going perfect in my life. You know I mean? I, mm-hmm. I had my little law firm. I had a couple of attorneys working for me and, um, had a television commercial, so I was feeling big time. But uh, but uh, when I uh, got back from Machu Picchu, I had one of my attorneys quit, um, and then I was diagnosed with leukemia. So I ended up uh, ended up uh, you know in the hospital for a while, and the law firm kind of fell apart because I was distracted and didn't have any other attorneys working for me, and ended up filing personal bankruptcy. So mm. that's that's sort of how I how I got to you know where I was like, man, I need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just started, uh, I took a job. I moved to Chattanooga. I was living up in Michigan at the time. I moved down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, took a job working for a trucking company, uh, made pretty decent money. Um, and I decided I need to take some of that money and buy real estate because I just didn't know, right? I could die. Uh, who knows what was going to happen next? I just, and I wanted to make sure my wife had money to pay her bills. Mm-hmm. Something happened to me. And, you know, it turns out if you have leukemia, it's really hard to buy life insurance. So that wasn't an option. Mm. I had to just figure it out. Yeah. And then how did you end up? So obviously you started buying real estate, but there's, there's a gap there. You did some traveling. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've always been a traveler. So, you know, when we were kids, we did a lot of traveling, um, you know, with the family, but it was all like domestic, you know, we'd get a motor home, go out West, stuff like that. 
Um, and I, so I always loved to travel. In fact, when I was in high school and right after high school, I did a ton of road trips around the U.S. I've been to all 50 U.S. states, uh, wow. drove to most of them, obviously not to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> I never drove to Alaska either, which is a sore spot. I'd like to drive up there. That'd be mm. pretty cool. Um, but uh, we went to Alaska a few years ago and it was just an amazing place. But anyway, so I did all of that as a young person. And then uh, in 99, I did a little bit of um, uh, backpacking in Europe. And that was like, uh, you know, that was just sort of like my own thing. I just decided I want to go to Europe. I'd never been out of the country other than to Canada uh, and just like border towns in Mexico. And I just hopped on a plane and um, I spent 30 days wandering around Europe. That was pretty awesome. Um, but all that was before, you know, law school is when I was sort of mm. trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I think I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, honestly. It's one of those things like you just kind of go like one season after the next. So. I don't know if it's not that you haven't figured out what you want to do. I think the traveling keeps you very open-minded and you get to experience all these different things. So you've seen all these different things. You're like, man, I don't want to be stuck here. I want to go do this, see this, do this, do this. So it's not that you're not doing what you don't want to per se, but. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. And I mean, honestly, everything I do now. So, you know, jump ahead a little bit in my story. I mean, I quit working a couple of years ago and just focused on real estate full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really spend that much time on real estate. Um, you know, I, I do have, you know, stuff I have to manage and whatnot. And I spend a lot of time networking. But, but pretty much everything I do now is about um, helping other people uh, get to the point where they can live a very good life, right? So yeah. for me, I, I love what I do. I love talking to people about real estate. I love going out and doing real estate related stuff. But I also am really understanding and what I've come to realize in the last couple of years is that there's more to um, life than just real estate. Like I like real estate a lot. Like I could go talk about real estate forever and I love being on here and talking about real estate, but some people could care less, right? Like I have friends that they're like, I don't understand why you keep talking about real estate all the time. You know, shut up, go do something different. (laughs) I mean, they're fine with me doing it. They just don't care. Um, and I've kind of come to realize that everyone, um, everyone has goals and hopes and desires and dreams, but they're not all real estate related. So now I've kind of expanded beyond helping people in real estate and try to talk to people about mindset and, and, you know, how they can kind of achieve whatever their goals are. So, yeah, absolutely. And I love that. And I'm going to backtrack here for a second because you lived in Michigan and how did you end up? Why Chattanooga? Well, I mean, like I said, I took a job down here. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, but I mean, so my dad started a trucking company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and then this was around the time that this is right before I got sick. He was, they were doing, um, they were doing freight for Ford and GM and uh, quite a bit of GM stuff. And GM filed bankruptcy in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um the company that he was associated with uh, decided they didn't want to do GM freight anymore. They they thought it was too risky. Uh, So he um, reassociated with a company out of Chattanooga and he moved his business down here uh, a couple years later uh, after I was sick and bankrupt uh, and him bugging me for two years to come work for him. I finally (laughs) relented and went and worked for him. I, I don't recommend working for family. It worked out good for me, but it's tough. I gave him, I told him I would do two years. I ended up working there six, um, but, uh, but it was fine. I mean, we grew a lot, um, learned a lot. I mean, I had, I probably hired like 500 people during that time. Wow. Um, there's a lot of turnover in trucking, you know, so, you know, it was oh, yeah. like we had about a hundred truck drivers and then we had about 20 office staff. Uh, when, when we ended up leaving that business, that's where we were at. We sold, well, he sold out. I, I didn't own it. So I didn't get like the <laughs> giant payday or anything, but I got six months severance. So it could have been worse. Oh yeah. And, um, and I, and they offered me, um, an option to, you know, to go and, uh, and work somewhere else. But, uh, uh, you know, for the company that bought them out, but I just didn't want to be in that world. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work for anyone anymore. So, so I just quit at that point. Yeah. And it, when you made that transition into real estate, I'm assuming you started off with single family, right? I did. So my first deal was, uh, was a little condo actually up in Michigan. I was living in Chattanooga at the time. This is 2011 and stuff was just really cheap. Right? Oh yeah. So this is, uh, you know, some of your listeners and viewers might be familiar with the Detroit area, but this is a little condo in Birmingham, mm. right? So it's a good area. Um, and we paid uh, $30,000 cash for this condo. 
Uh, it's small, right? You know, 700 square feet, you know, and it needed a little renovation, but we were able to rent it out right away. And I bought it with a friend of mine. Um, and we just sort of split it and we paid cash for it. Right. So it was like wow. 15,000 each. We still own it. It's clearly worth a lot more than that now. I would say Birmingham's such a nice area too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> 30, it's pretty nice. Yeah. My mind. yeah. Well, and the thing is that was a condo. It had been a hundred thousand dollar condo. Um, two years earlier, it was a foreclosure bank owned. Um, and we ended up buying another one in the same building, uh, another, like maybe three or four months later for right around that same price. So it wasn't like we were taking advantage of it. That's just what they were worth then. Uh, no one was buying real estate. People were in panic mode. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is something that, you know, this is a pro tip for what might be coming. Like we don't know what it's going to look like, uh, uh, six months from now, right. Cause of the coronavirus stuff, yeah. it's really hard to discern that. But if people are in panic mode, that's where opportunity comes. Mm -hmm. When people aren't buying, that's when you, you know, you really want to be looking for opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the markets, you know, the coronavirus may not have an impact, but the way people react to it is what creates all this. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see, right? I mean, if this thing wraps up, uh, you know, in two, three, four weeks, a month, a month and a half, I don't know. Um, it might be that the economy recovers fairly quickly mm -hmm. and people are optimistic and happy because, you know, a lot of this is consumer sentiment, right? Mm -hmm. um, if people are afraid to buy houses um, and investors are afraid to invest, then, uh, you know, the stuff goes down. It's, I mean, it's supply and demand. It's that simple, literally. So, yeah, absolutely. And then how did you end up? So I'm assuming when you started off in the single family, it was just kind of like, you were dabbling, getting rental properties, maybe duplex, triplex here and there. What was your first like legit multifamily property and how'd you make that transit? transit? Uh, you know, that's uh, so, um, <laughs> listen, I did all single family uh, and small like duplexes and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, until 2000 and I don't know, 2017. So mm -hmm. for quite a while, like seven years, right? Yeah. Um, Two thousand late two thousand seventeen might even been two thousand eighteen. So I quit working in um, March of I guess it's seventeen. So it's been three years now. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> so it's weird because when I quit, I was like, oh, I think I'll figure something out later. I'm gonna just not work for six months and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really like. I, I had all a bunch of. We had probably. Uh, I don't know, 60, 70 units of single family and small multis at that time. Uh, and we just, um, we were fine. We didn't really need to work. Like, so mm -hmm. it was kind of like, I don't have to do anything. But after about a month, I was getting <laughs> bored. So we got into doing a little syndication. So we started raising money for, for bigger deals. And we didn't even start with multifamily then. Like the first um, deal that I put together was an office building. Mm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that in today's market, but <laughs> we still own it. It's kept still cash flowing the people are paying their rent so it could be worse um but uh but yeah i mean it's not a market i would jump into right now because mm. the coronavirus stuff and then the next deal we did was a strip mall so so we got into commercial stuff um and that was partly because we we're looking at apartment complexes at that point and going wow they're they're kind of high um and also um you know, we just, we just didn't see the opportunity for bigger deals. At that mm. same time that we were doing that, I decided I wanted to get into apartments. Um, so my friend uh, and business partner up in Michigan and I started looking for um, things that were, you know, in the million dollar range, right? So, you know, 15 to 25 units, um, something like that, because we figured we could put the 20% down and we could go buy one of these ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we started looking for those. And then I started looking also down in Chattanooga. Um, my dad was uh, getting a little antsy also, right? Because he had sold his company. So we started looking for something to do down here. And in October of 17, um, we bought a 12 unit down in Chattanooga area. And then two weeks later, we bought a 19 unit in Michigan. So we nice. went from no apartments to having two buildings in like <laughs> about a two week period. Uh, and that was a, that was a big growth curve, but you know what? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we waited way too long. I should have started buying those like way, way sooner because they're amazing. Yeah. Um, we just refinanced that first 12 unit we bought um, in February, um, pulled out more than we put in to put for the down payment. Nice. We still own it. It still cash flows. Uh, and, you know, it's just, that's, I mean, that's amazing. Now it's an infinite return, right? Like I don't have any money in it and it still gives me money every month. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, it has so far. I mean, we'll see you next month, right? Depends <laughs> if people are paying their rents in, in uh, May or not. But so far, it's been pretty good. Our collections have been pretty reasonable on all of our properties.
So yeah, and since then, have you been able to do any like drastic rent increases or anything, or what was the strategy with them? Were they value add or? Yeah, so um, so the twelve unit and the nineteen unit both were below market rents when we bought them. So we've raised the rents significantly. I'd say. Uh, you know, it's been two and a half years. Uh, rents are up a couple hundred dollars a unit on those. Nice. Um, the 12 unit, about 175 average, and the 19 unit, just over 200 average. So nice. And are you? And then we did put in some renovation to do that. I mean, it wasn't just straight. We're going to raise the rent. Yeah. Um, our strategy has been to, as we do turns, renovate the units and then get the higher rent and and renovate them out of cash flow for the most part. So. Yeah, and then obviously have a. You know, portfolio is big enough now to where this might be a stupid question but are you third-party property management or do you still manage a lot on your own um yeah so the stuff up in michigan is actually managed by my partner up there he has a Mm. property management company in southfield and so he handles those the stuff down here um actually my partner on old-fashioned real estate the the show that we do um you'd asked about the old fashions right so we we drink (laughs) we, we just get drunk and talk about real estate on YouTube, but, um, uh, but that my partner in that show and, and in that business, um, has a property management company in Chattanooga. So he manages the stuff that we own together, the stuff that I own with my dad, um, and a little bit of stuff I own with my partner out of Michigan down here. I actually manage myself. So I manage about, um, I, I manage about 10 units, the 12 unit. We, we put a, um, we put a sort of uh, I have a maintenance guy that manages it for me. Like, you know, he, he lives nearby. It's, it's about 20, 30 minutes from my house. And I, I don't really relish the idea of having to go over there all the time and he lives <laughs> nearby. So I let him handle a lot of that. So. Yeah. And just for the sake of those listening, I, I always love asking this question, you know, when you do manage some on your own, just one horror story. Well, so step back for one second. The reason I like managing property is so I remember what the property managers do, right? So here's a horror story for you that I'm going through literally right now. Um, So I have a duplex. It was actually the first property I bought in Chattanooga. Um, I still manage it. I own it 50-50 with my dad. And um, there were this, when I bought it, it was in really rough shape. And we renovated one side completely. The other side had tenants in it that were paying weekly right? Mm. Which is a big, like, I wouldn't even accept it now. So I had these tenants, they're paying weekly. They, um, and they paid pretty consistently now for three years. Um, but like in the fall, uh, one of the tenants, the, the, the wife died, right? Mm. Um, she had to have open heart surgery and died on the, on the table. So I felt really bad for them. Um, cause you know, they, they're nice people. I mean, they're, um, they always were just a little bit behind or, you know, maybe they just caught up, you know, but, but they were, they were clearly trying. Um, they weren't, um, the cleanest people we've had issues, you know, with like mm. having to say, Hey, you got to clean this up. You can't have trash all over the place, stuff like that. But, but they were nice people. And, um, so if, after she died, like they lost her disability check and they got a little oh. bit further behind and, and I was trying to work with them. And I went to Africa last month, you know, I was February, mm-hmm. I was the whole month of February um, and part of March in Africa and, um, and, and they pay weekly. Right. So I, and they, they were supposed to pay this guy that, you know, was that, that collects my rents when I'm gone mm-hmm. and they didn't pay him. So they were already hadn't, were a little behind and then they didn't pay in February and I got back in March and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. I got money for you. I got money for you. You know, I'm going to pay some money. Never gave me any money. Right. And, um, so I'm like, geez, I don't know what to do. Cause I feel bad. They've been there a yeah. long time. And this is why I'm a bad property manager and why I should have third <laughs> party nice. management. Yeah. So I'm trying to deal with this and I'm calling the guy. He's not, call- he's not answering. So I go over and I knock on the door and his son answers and he's like, Oh yeah, my dad moved in with his girlfriend. Now his son actually was never on the lease. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, um, he hasn't paid rent in three months, you know, so you're gonna have to get out. And he's like, Oh, you know, my girlfriend's got this great job. And like, you know, you know, how these things go, right? Yeah. So anyway, so I'm trying to work with them a little bit. And I think they gave me like 200 bucks, right? Like, like not very much, right? They're way, way behind, like 3000 behind. And um, I'm like, you know what, this is not gonna work. Like, like, you guys got to get out. So I'm getting ready to file eviction. And then coronavirus. Of course. So now there's 
So now I'm like, man, this is really bad. So <laughs> I go over there and I'm like, I'm going to just see if I can maybe give them cash for keys or something, just pay them, yep. you know, because I can't just have this vacant unit that doesn't pay forever. Yeah. Um, so I get over there and I knock on the door and this guy answers and I don't know who he is. And I'm like, hey, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, <laughs> who are you and why are you here? He's like, well, I'm friends with so-and-so, another person I never heard of. And I'm like, okay, well, who's that? And they're like, oh, well, uh, you know, he's paying rent to the owner. And I'm like, nope, not, not paying works. rent to me. <laughs> he's not paying. If he was paying rent to me, that'd be great. But like, he's not. So <laughs> I've never talked. Well, I've been paying rent to so-and-so. And I'm like, well, I don't know who so-and-so is. But this is my place, right? Like you have to get out. Um, still there. So we'll see what happens. Can't yeah. evict anyone right now. They're not doing ejections. And these people, no idea who they are lost complete contact with my tenant, um, also with my tenant's children. And then uh, just this weekend, last weekend, somebody OD'd in the property. Um, oh, and, you know, again, people I don't know who they are. I have no <laughs> idea why they're living there. Um, and I can't kick out because they're um, not doing that sort of thing in China yeah. right now. So um, that's my horror story. Um, we'll see how it resolves. Give me a call in a couple of months and maybe right. I'll have my property back. So Yeah. And for those listening, I promise that's a rarity. Um, the majority of your tenants probably pay on time and do what they're supposed to. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Issues. And you know what the lesson here is? Um, don't let stuff slide. You know, yeah. the problem, this is a my fault. Like, I mean, these people, it's, it's bad, right? But what happened is I let these people slide way too long because I felt bad. Um, legitimately, I mean, it's not their fault. Their mom and wife died. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a bad thing, and I'm, I don't want to be insensitive to that, um, especially now with all the suffering going around. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, people are losing their jobs and stuff. I'm working with all those people, right? Like I, I really am. And we do even our even instructing our property managers to work with people if they have legitimate job losses from coronavirus or whatever. Yeah. But. Um, but you also have to recognize that if people are in a pattern of paying late and then they start falling behind, uh, they're probably never catching up. Yeah. And, and, and they're going to get desperate. You know, this is what I think happened here is my tenant got a couple thousand dollars behind and thought, screw this, I'm out of here. Rather than try to catch it up, I'm going to go live with someone else. I'm going to yeah. go live somewhere else. And then just, just, it just ghosted me. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, and in fairness, another problem is I didn't screen this person because they were an inherited tenant right? It wasn't someone I brought in, they were already there. So I have limited information about, you know, them other than that, you know, I kind of know where they work, but this person's changed jobs a lot. So maybe doesn't even work there anymore. (laughs) Um, I don't even care about collecting the past due money at this point, though. I just want them out. Like, yeah, I want to get the property safe and secure because right, this person that OD'd is not there anymore. Apparently, they're in the hospital and recovering, which is better than the alternative. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know, this, this, it's a duplex, right? It disrupts my, my paying tenant next door yep. to have to like hear like sirens in the middle of the night. Like that's the only reason I even know about this person having a problem. Right. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I don't want to spend all the time obsessing over how <laughs> terrible this one unit is. Cause like you said, almost every prop, every other property I have is performing. Um, and it's really not that bad, but yeah. managing yourself, if you don't do it, do it right it can really get you into a problem so yeah well there's a good lesson to be learned there for those listening and for me <laughs> exactly so i'm gonna take a jump here because uh in the beginning of this conversation you mentioned your partners how do you go about finding your partners it was i'm assuming one was probably your friend in life at some point that came into the real estate world with you and whatnot but yeah. So my, um, the partner that I partnered with the most was a friend of mine from law school. Mm. And what happened there is he was someone who was flipping houses to pay for law school and it made me jealous. And <laughs> so I thought I got to learn this. I got to learn what he's doing. I, I never really did get good at flipping. I've never really liked flipping, but, um, you can make money doing it, but it's, it's a job. And I, I like to, you know, I like to just cash flow. you know, that's my thing. I, I don't want a job. Um, but uh, every once in a while, we still do a flip. But anyway, so I, I met him from that, and we were really good friends. And actually, when I got sick um, and couldn't practice law, he covered a lot of cases for me uh, wow. for free, wouldn't take money, uh, and, and you know really helped me out a lot. So when I did get to the position where I could start investing, I, I called him and I said, listen, um, I want to I do some deals. 
I have a little bit of cash saved up. Keep an eye out for me. And then he found that condo in Birmingham and, you know, the rest is history. We went from there um, to where we have, you know, quite a few units. In fact, um, I would say, I think I have about 150 units with him. So that's amazing. And how about the, and that's Travis, right? Yeah. Travis. Yeah. And how about um, your partner on the show with you? Yeah. So Brian, um, so, so the funny thing with Brian is his last name is leverage, which is pretty pretty awesome for a real estate investor. Um, so my banker actually was like, Hey, I have this like guy who's borrowing a bunch of money from me and buying real estate. Um, and you just got to meet him because his last name's leverage. You just have to meet him. (laughs) He just kept saying that over and over again. Uh, and I was like, man, that's kind of funny. And so we actually, um, you know, we're in the same town. Uh, so we were introduced by the banker. Um, and Brian had done some stuff like he was raising money for some syndicated deals. Mm. Um, and we just, we just became friends. And then, you know, we were out and about, actually we were drinking old fashions at Ruth Chris, right? Like in, mm-hmm. the, in the bar at Ruth Chris one day. And he was saying, Hey, I need a, um, got this deal I'm working on. Do you want to you know, help me raise for it? And I thought, sure. Why not? That sounds fun. <laughs> so we, um, jokingly named our management company that was going to raise for the steel uh, old fashioned management. Cause we thought it sounded, you know, kind of, you know, sophisticated, but we knew it was a joke, right? Like, yeah. we were, cause we were drinking at the time. Um, and then uh, later we decided, well, we're using this name anyway, we might as well, uh, you know, start the show. And, and we've done, uh, we've done a few deals together since then. I think we have, Oh, see, we um, we bought a couple of apartment complexes since then together. Um, one that we raised for, one that we just bought ourselves. It's a little 16 unit. It's kind of nice. near my 12 unit. Yeah, and then uh, and then we did a couple of commercial buildings together. We've done a couple of flips together. So um, so that's been really great. And uh, that's other partners uh, that I've had. Um, it's just been you know you if you're gonna find a partner. Um, you've got, it's gotta be someone you like and it's gotta mm-hmm. be someone you trust and then you got to write everything down. You know, you have an agreement that's really, oh, yeah. really clear and that's true, especially true with people that are friends with yours. Right. Yeah. Um, because you know, that relationship is important too. So yeah. like Travis and I, we've been partners a long time. Uh, but it doesn't mean we always agree on everything. Right? <laughs> like, and, and, and we, uh, you know, we're, I'm pretty easygoing, but like, you know, I have opinions about stuff and sometimes his opinions different than mine. And, yeah. and it's the same thing with Brian or, um, you know, even my new partner, it's not even real estate related. I mean, if you're starting a business that's, um, and I've done a couple, like I had a computer business with a high school friend of mine for a while, mm-hmm. didn't work out well, but we had an agreement. And so we're both okay. And we're still friends, right? Like the yeah. computer business isn't <laughs> around anymore. Yeah. But we're friends. And that, that was more important to me. Um, you know, I wish I hadn't lost the money. That would have been better, but, uh, yeah, whatever. So, but you didn't lose the friendship. So at the end of the day, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the, the money's important, but, um, you know, finding good friends, it's, it's tough. Like, like the guy I had the computer business with, he went on a ton of road trips with me in high school. Like, you know, we have that kind of history, you know, you don't want to lose that friendship. Yeah, no, absolutely. And let's talk about, you know, buying compared to obviously this market, we don't know what's going to happen in the next month or so. And I know this answer because we spoke about it, but a little bit, but are you still purchasing in this market? And if not, like what's your strategy? Um, so I, I did buy that 16 unit apartment complex, um, uh, about the first, second week of March. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was after, you know, this stuff had sort of evolved. I don't know if I would buy it today though. Right. Mm. Like knowing what I know now a month after buying it, we've owned it just over a month now. Um, it's fine. It's, uh, it's cash flowing. Everything's good. Um, we're paying the bills, you know, we have cash, we're doing renovation. We're following the plan. Cause that's a value add deal. Yeah. Um, but I might wait, you know, I certainly wouldn't put anything like that under contract right now, unless it was a really, really good deal. Yeah. So like Travis just bought some properties that were stupid cheap, right? Like a 32 unit for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I think I've seen that on Facebook. Yeah. So yeah. you buy a 32 unit for $200,000. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Right? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm in on that deal. Like I told Travis, you want some, you want me in on that deal? I'll be in on, it. I'm not right this minute, but, um, but I would like, if the next one comes around, I'm, I would do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that's crazy cheap, but uh, going out and like, um, and buying, uh, you know, slight value add, you know, market-based deals right now that are financeable. 
in the multifamily world, I'd be careful because yeah. we don't know what the market's going to look like in six months. It's like um, Neil Bawa said in a, a in a, a coronavirus update, like the early part of March. Um, he said, right now it's like looking into a black hole, you know, like we just don't know. Like you can, anything could happen. And so it's just not sensible to be, um, he was talking about distributions to his investors. He's saying we need to hold cash right now. We can't distribute. But I yeah. think that applies to um, distributions, but I think it also applies to uh, purchasing right now. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, opportunity, like we got to keep moving. Like, especially flippers, they think that there's like the time value of money and they got to keep buying. But I think that's that's risky right now. Mm-hmm. You don't know if you're going to be able to refinance and you don't want to be getting stuck with stuff. Um, uh, two months from now, we're going to have a lot more clarity. I, yeah. I, I put a 90 day pause on, on new acquisitions like that. Even that apartment complex, when I was going to close on it, with Brian, we were like, we talked about it and we're like, should we close? We were already hard on earnest money. We might've been able to wiggle out of that because everything that was going on. Um, and we had had it under contract for a long time and had a plan all built out and had the financing ready. You know, we'd spent our money on appraisals um, and it was a really good deal um, based on our metrics from, you know, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll see if it was a good deal now. We, we figured we could weather it. It was small, right? So um, I think our loan's like 700,000 on it, right? Yeah. Payments such that we can probably survive it no matter what. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not, I'm just, I'm waiting right now. Yeah. I mean, when you underwrite these things, I'm sure you've did plenty of stress tests or whoever underwrites your deals did the stress test. You know, it's just a risk assessment for maybe worst case scenario when things like this happen that you're unaware of. And Right. But the worst case scenario when we stress <laughs> test is like 25 or 30% vacancy, oh, economic vacancy. That's what we always were, te- we were, we were stress testing stuff towards. We weren't stress testing towards what happens if all of your tenants lose their job in the same week. Right. Like I, I never considered that as a possibility because they don't all work at the same place. They, you know, they all do diff- various different things. Um, now it turns out like our tenants haven't all lost their jobs, so it isn't gotten that bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's very possible that if this goes on for two, three more months, that 50% or 60% of people won't be paying. And I didn't anticipate, I mean, we've never experienced anything like that ever. Mm-mm. Nobody ever. has. <laughs> the great depression. Yeah. Not everyone lost their jobs in the same week. Right. Like, you yeah. know, yeah, that stuff happened fast. The stock market collapsed quick in the great depression, but but the jobs went away over time. They didn't go away in one day, right? Um, and, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we're still doing well. I mean, we're still paying our bills. We're still at collections, actually, for um, March were great. April's been, you know, good. I mean, we're right at, right on schedule. We're actually, in some of our properties, it's even stronger than it was in March. Um, yeah. And maybe that's because we're more on top of it now because we're, we're, we're worried about it. Right. But, yeah. uh, but it's going really, I mean, it's been fine so far, so we'll see what happens. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So I'm sure your palms are still sweating a little bit here and there, but <laughs> you know what? I, I mean, I, I think I've told you this before off camera, but uh, I don't have bad days. I don't believe in mm-hmm. bad days. Um, my attitude is always positive and that's a choice. I always look at it this way. Good and bad stuff happens to everyone. And you just got to think about the good stuff and forget about the bad stuff. Cause you know, you minimize it, right? Like if something's happening, uh, address it. Don't, um, uh, don't ignore it completely, but don't stress on it either. Right? Like just make the, the course corrections you have to make and uh, focus on how you get to the positive thing. It's like, um, um, I always, I always think of it like a rocket ship. This is going to sound really weird, but like, um, I think like, you know, like you just, you know, rockets, when they blast off, the hard part is getting started, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's the hard part. But, uh, once you're, once you're in motion, which, you know, I think I'm already in motion, right. And not on everything in my life. And sometimes I still have to, you know, I have to exert extreme effort to start a new business, to change my career, to go from being a bankruptcy attorney, to get into real estate. That took effort. Mm Mm-hmm. Lots of effort. But once you start doing it and you start you know, on that path, it gets easier. But that doesn't mean that you're pointed exactly in the right direction. You know, you might take off and get to orbit, but now you have to get to the space station. So yeah. you've got to make these little mini burns to get to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. So that's how I look at it. And sometimes you get way, way off, of course, and you need to, you know, turn your engines on and go full blast for a little while. And other times it's just like, you know, a little puff of air and you're right back on the right. <laughs> 
you know. Yep. <laughs> so that's how I think of it. You just make these little adjustments and just try to get to where you want to be. Um, and that's how you have to look at your whole life, you know, not just your real estate investing, but um, if you minimize the bad and then, you know, point yourself towards your goals, you eventually get there. Yeah, absolutely. And since we're on this topic, this is usually the part of the podcast where I have, you know, when I started this, it was supposed to be rapid fire questions. And then it just turned into three questions that aren't personal, but are made to get personal answers out of you, um, which are really not that deep. It's simple. Like first ones, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, that's a great question. So, uh, so much good advice in the world, but the one that made the most impact on me is something I read in Richard Branson's book, Screw It, Let's Do It, mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and that was, uh, it's a combination of two things. And I'm pretty sure it was in that book. The first is just the title, right? Screw it, let's do it. Like when I was trying to get the 19 unit, um, Travis and I were discussing whether we wanted to buy multifamily or not, because like, Travis is especially very successful in the single family world. Mm -hmm. Um and we were looking at it and we're like, we're not sure if it's a good deal or not because you don't know what you don't know. And I just said, I was reading that book at the time. I said, screw it. Let's just do it. Right. Like, and that, that's great advice. Like sometimes you just got to do it. And sort of companion to that advice is that the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is that successful people take action without all the possible knowledge mm -hmm. and information. So like what that means is, you know, you do need to research, you do need to learn, but you can't learn everything. If you sit around and try to learn every single thing, you never get anything done. Yeah. So you yeah. have to just do it and you have to act before you have all possible knowledge. You need some knowledge, but you don't need, of course. <laughs> you don't need to know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely don't overthink it because you're just going to make that hole deeper and it's going to be harder to move forward and make that leap to begin That's with. That's right. You got to, it's like a rocket ship. That's a Richard Branson thing, right? You just, <laughs> there you got to, you got you to gotta get going. If you don't get going, you never get anywhere. A absolutely. And this, this one, this, I try to change up the questions, but I love the answers from this one. So I've used it every single time. Three people dead or alive that you would like to sit down and have dinner with? Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Matt Barnett. <laughs> okay, no, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've already done that. It was good. No, all right. So serious, serious answer. Um, off the top of my head, and I'm sure I'm going to regret this later because I haven't thought this question out, but uh, Michael Crichton, the mm. science fiction author, um, because he made a huge impact on my life personally. He wrote this book called Travels. It's his autobiography. It's really crazy. There's some weird stuff in there, but he's also did really crazy things, including climb Mount Kilimanjaro, which is where I got the idea to climb Mount oh. Kilimanjaro, um, which was awesome. And you guys should try it, but it was also terrible and super hard. <laughs> um, I did that in, when I was in, in F for your listeners, I know you know this, but mm -hmm. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro actually in, in February of 2020, so just a few months ago. Uh, in fact, um, today it was two months ago today that I summited Kilimanjaro. So, um, and that was really, really great. And so Crichton would definitely be on the list. Fascinating guy. Um, the only guy to have the number one TV show, the number one movie, and the number one book at the same time. Wow. Yeah. So he's the author of, you know, Jurassic Park and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. So oh, that's how I, that's where and, I know him from. Okay. Yeah. And um, he also is um, the creator of the TV show ER. Um, mm. uh, and he was a, med a Harvard trained medical doctor. I mean, he has a fascinating life, like very, very um, interesting life, um, but dead. So I would rather not be him right now. I mean, I would like to have lived his life, but I'd also prefer to be alive. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so there's a trade off, right? Uh, so yeah, so three people, right? Um, ben Franklin. Ooh. I would like to meet Ben Franklin um, because Ben Franklin is just, I mean, first of all, like a true Renaissance man, right? Like he's the guy that like, you know, he's a printer, uh, found one of the founding fathers of this country. Mm -hmm. um, but he also um, Ben Franklin was known in the United States for being um, very uh, well-groomed. Uh, he always wore a suit. He was super prim and proper. And then when Jefferson asked him to be the ambassador to Paris, right? Mm. During the war of 1812 or no, during the, essentially during the revolutionary war, right? Like, like, I think it was like, you know, not, it was, it was like not during the revolutionary war, but it was between the revolutionary war and the war of 1812. Franklin mm -hmm. goes to Paris and because he is so smart, he 
becomes like a Davy Crockett character in Paris. He puts on a coonskin hat. Uh, you know, he wears like handmade leather clothes and he gets drunk all the time, stays up late, sleeps in every day. This is a guy that's famous for saying, you know, early to bed, early to rise, makes mm-hmm. you healthy, wealthy and wise. He goes to Paris and he does the exact opposite of his own advice because um, much like, you know, uh, like somebody like Grant Cardone, he knew that he needed to make an impression, right? Yeah. Grant Cardone just yesterday put out this video saying he was going bankrupt. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, right? he's sitting in like, his office. Or, yeah, and then yeah. and then he said the next day he go, or two days ago he said that, and then the next day he said actually that was just a marketing thing. Like I'm really not. I just wanted to get everyone's attention. This is what Ben Franklin was doing in Paris in like 1803, and the idea that someone could come up with something that crazy after being in oh man, his book is like really good. His autobiography—it's a little hard to read because the language is, oh yeah, uh, you know, old English is harder to read than modern English for us, right? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's just chock full of really great stuff. So I'd like to meet him. Um, uh, and I need a third person, uh, you know, and I bet a lot of people pick like religious people like Jesus or something. Mm, nobody and, has once. No, no. Well, then I should pick Jesus. Cause like, that'd be amazing. <laughs> but you know what? Actually that would be really intimidating. I'm sure. So I'm going to pick, um, instead I'm going to pick Paul, the apostle Paul, because the thing about Paul is, um, he persecuted Christians and then had this conversion thing where he decided to like, go out and um and preach and then he did that until he was killed right like to have that level of faith in somebody that you never met personally because he persecuted people that were 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 following this religion he's on the road he has this vision and whatever that impact was it was so significant to him that he completely changed his life around in one second and then he went the exact opposite, right to the point where he didn't care that, you know, people persecuted him. And and I think, like, if you can have that kind of belief in what you're doing, I want to meet someone with that kind of faith. Seriously, that's pure dedication and faith right there. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that applies to people not just from a religious perspective. No, but like of course. People that make those kind of insane judgments. Elon Musk's another one, so that's my bonus person. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a guy who risked his personal fortune. You know, in his 20s, he made $100 million selling out of PayPal, right? Mm-hmm. And he could have quit working. And instead, he nearly bankrupted himself, starting not one, but two world-changing companies at yep. the same time. He's going to go to space and build rocket ships and then also build a brand new car company, something that hadn't been done in almost a hundred years. Yeah. Right. And then he wants to build a car company that makes electric cars. Yep. I mean, come on. Like now we know how that turned out. It worked out okay for him. Right. But a like, rough start. He, he had to, yeah, he had to sell his like house. <laughs> he had to sell his personal McLaren. Like he had a McLaren, like mm-hmm. he sold it million dollar car, sold it to pay his payroll. Right. That's where he was at. He had went from a hundred million to flat broke. To make those kind of decisions and have that mental fortitude to say, I don't care. I want to change the world. I want people to get to Mars. I want people to stop using fossil fuels. Uh, It doesn't matter if you agree with his goals or not. The point is he decided that those goals were more important than anything else. And he pursued them single-handedly. And that's super impressive. Yeah. And I could go on for that topic forever. (laughs) The whole Elon Musk topic. So I'm not going to, but what I am going to do is this is shameless plug time. So, old-fashioned real estate show uh, where yes. can people find that last life ever find you invest with you just meet sure. you talk to you you do coaching whole nine yards yeah so i try not to do any of that stuff uh, <laughs> i try just to hang out and have fun um but i love all of it so i do it all right um so old-fashioned real estate uh it's oldfashionedrealestate.com so old and then fashioned ed people sometimes drop the ed off but um or just youtube.com slash old-fashioned real estate or just type in old-fashioned real estate on youtube um you'll find us so that show we just like i said we drink bourbon old fashions and talk about real estate there the episodes are the length of a single drink so it's just brian and i we sit down we have a drink when we're done with the drink the show's over um we usually film two or three at a time so by the third one we're a little tipsy and that one's usually a silly episode (laughs) but it's a lot of fun we've enjoyed it um so subscribe uh you know like all of our videos share them everywhere so that we can become famous we're definitely not famous yet um (laughs) that's that uh last life ever is my new thing um it's a podcast we have uh 
five episodes out now. We re- actually released it March 16th. It's a weekly podcast, and we released it on the same day that um, Trump issued his 15 days to slow the spread, right? So first day of social distancing, we released a podcast. Um, the timing honestly couldn't have been better for us, but it was very, very strange, right? Yeah. So um, we do the show live, so we knew what was happening uh, when we released it, but we had been planning to release for six months, so we just thought, well, we have to do it. And I'm mm-hmm. so glad we did, because if you go back and listen to our first episode, we're talking about everything that's going on. It's like a time capsule into how people felt a month ago. And Perfect. each week is a little bit different. Um, and what we do there is we interview extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's just a pure self. It's not real estate related. It's just pure mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to accomplish big things. We interviewed a girl who talked about how to get better sleep. I mean, everyone's having trouble sleeping now with all this stuff going on. And that's like <laughs> super awesome. Talked about a talked to a single mom who took her kids on a trip around the world and came back just before coronavirus. Um, but she spent five months world schooling her kids. Wow. And she decided this in August and left in September. Like literally just like, you know what? I think I'm going to take my kids around the world and just went. And that kind of mindset stuff is so amazing. So, so those are the kinds of episodes that we've had. I mean, just people doing amazing and cool things. Um, And so I love that show and that's lastlifeever.com or just Facebook us. Um, We have this group on Facebook where we just talk about positive motivational stuff all day long. Last life ever. Um, It's a closed group, but it's searchable. So, you know, if you search it and ask to join, we'll let you in. Um, we just don't want negative people in there. So be positive and, and encouraging and we'll be happy to have you there. So, um, and that's like, a, you know, last life, right? Like you only live once mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like, that's the whole point of it, right? You, we, we've got one shot to live this life and we need to do the best version possible. That's Absolutely. my climbing Kilimanjaro and like, you know, coming on shows and talking about stuff. Um, as far as like the, the rest of it, I mean, if you want to find out more about me, just go to my personal website, jeffreyholst.com. And then you can find out about coaching and, and last life ever and old fashioned real estate. It's all there. Um, and if it's not, it should be. So if you find something that about me, that's not on that, then you should uh, let me know and we'll add it. <laughs> Perfect. And for those that are listening and watching all the links that you just mentioned, I will have in the description, no matter where they're at, they can click any of those links and take them directly to Appreciate anything. That. Thank you. Absolutely. So, and I meant to say congratulations from the start of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, it was way harder than I thought. I mean, I'm like, you know, not super healthy. Like I'm not unhealthy really comparatively. Like I, my leukemia is controlled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a little overweight, but I'm way less fat than I used to be. So like, I mean, I've made progress on both of those fronts, but like, you know, man, like 19,300 feet. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, my brother climbed with me um, till the last day and ended up in the hospital with acute mountain sickness. He spent three oh, wow. days in a hospital in Tanzania. Um, so I had to climb a summit with just a couple of porters uh, and he was he was in the hospital. Um, and the last thing he said to me, I said, do you want me to come down? And he's like, no, climb the mountain, man go back to sleep and I'm going to go back and I'm going to go down. And like, if you have mountain sickness, the only cure is to descend, right? Like there's no treatment. You have to go down as Mm -hmm. fast as you can. And the problem with Kilimanjaro is there's no quick way down. Um, So, you know, his lungs filling up with fluid uh, and he had to walk 27 kilometers through the middle of the night down a mountain to get to the hospital. It took him like almost, 30 hours. So while I was summiting, he was literally climbing himself off the mountain and trying to save his life. That's insane. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) honestly, what he did is a lot harder than what I did. So I feel, um, I get emotional just thinking about it because like I was super emotional, like getting to the top, like it's so hard that last night you climb from 10 o'clock at night until, you know, sunrise essentially. Um, and you get to the top and I was like, I wanted to give up from like day two and this is mm. day seven. Right. So, uh, you know, I was like so upset and I'm worried about my brother and mm-hmm. then so emotional because this is a goal that I've had since I read travels by Crichton, uh, when I was in high school. Right. So, you know, it's 20 years of wanting to climb this silly mountain. Yeah. And, um, and so it was just an overwhelming experience. Uh, I lost a couple of toenails, uh, they haven't grown back yet. Hopefully they will. Um, the blisters are gone now uh, and I'm able to walk without pain. So, you know, it's probably worth it. And I mean, I'm glad I went when I did. Cause like if I'd planned it for March, you know, I wouldn't have wouldn't happened. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then you're lucky you didn't get attacked by all the locusts out there now. Yeah, I mean, I did actually <laughs> see the swarm of locusts. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so I, after I spent a month in, in Africa, only eight days of it climbing the mountain, but we went up to Kenya mm-hmm. um, on March 3rd, the day before I left to come home. Uh, I went to see, I wanted to find a rhino. Rhinos are super rare in the mm-hmm. wild. I wanted to see a rhino and I hadn't seen one the whole month in Africa. And I read that there was this national park like two hours north of Nairobi. So mm-hmm. I hired a driver to take me up there to look for rhino. And he was <laughs> like, I've, I've only seen a rhino once in this national park. And I'm like, well, we're going to find one today. So we're driving <laughs> around looking for a rhino and we did find a rhino, which is awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm super happy about that. Um, and on the way back from there, he stops the car and he's like, Oh my God. You know, he's like, this is insane. And we got out of the car and the whole sky turned black with locusts. Jeez. Um, and it was like nothing I've ever seen. And he's the the driver who's like, he's Kenyan. He's not, he said, I've never seen it. He said, I heard there were swarms of locusts. And now they're saying that they're going to come back four to 800 times more than what we saw. Um, yeah. Because it's just been so wet there this last year. Like, the, they've been in a drought and then they they've moved out of the drought and all of the mm. East African um, countries are celebrating all the rain. And now it looks like that's going to turn into a plague. Yeah. Um, and, and they were, I mean, like um, there's so many locusts and they just, they just destroy fields and kill crops and oh, yeah. you know, throw that into the coronavirus situation. Um, these people are in a world of hurt. Um, yeah. It's real, real bad. So, you know, pray for the people of Africa. Uh, yeah, especially absolutely. East Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, they're, they're getting hit really hard. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're all getting hit hard. I mean, the whole world's in yeah. a world of hurt right now. <laughs> um, but we're going to fare better, like, because we can go to the grocery store. Like, yeah. I talked to this guy uh, who's a safari guard that I met met in uh, in Tanzania. Uh, we, we were just WhatsApping. And, you know, he's lucky because he's got a house and he raises chickens. So they have chicken. Mm. But a lot of his neighbors don't have food. Because they, they, they live not paycheck to paycheck. They live day to day. Mm-hmm. They can't leave their house. They can't go buy food. So whatever they grow, whatever they keep at their house, that's what they're eating. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Terrible. We can go to Walmart or whatever. They can't. Yeah. And we don't think twice about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we all ran out and hoarded, right? Like we went and bought a bunch of food. We're like, wow, we might well, be stuck in our house a couple of weeks. I'm going to go buy some extra eggs or whatever. But, like, but now like, you know, these people, like if they don't have food, they don't have food. Yeah, but all right. Well, I appreciate it. I'm not going to take up too much more time in your day, you know, because we're both busy stuck in our houses, but I yeah, appreciate I mean, you being actually, on probably, I probably could have stayed on all day. It wouldn't have really matter. Oh, yeah. Hey, I, I mean, a, I too. Quick, quick side note, shameless plug for Elon Musk. Got my SpaceX cup right here, so. Not a hint, but sponsor me. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And by the way, Elon, when you uh, decide to sponsor this excellent show, Old Fashioned Real Estate and Last Life Ever are also available for uh, SpaceX sponsorships. So. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I appreciate it, Jeff. Yeah, no problem, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Great time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Open Door Real Estate Podcast. Brought to you by Barnett Capital, where every Monday, we will be opening the doors to the minds of those who own multiple doors. You can find all past and future podcasts at barnettcapitalco.com forward slash podcast or facebook.com forward slash barnettcapitalco. Thanks for listening.